Good morning. morning. We're going to try it one more time. I do this at our church, my church, all the time, so sorry. Good morning. All right. Just want to. I just like to know that, like you know, people are excited to come and be at church, and that while it is the nine o'clock service, it is early, but we'll we'll wake up eventually. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Corey Johnston, and um, I was the Trailheads Church Planting resident um, for about two years, and then uh, I, I kind of I got raised up in this church. Um, I learned how to be a man here, what it means to love my wife well, how to raise my kids. I learned, uh, more importantly than that, the gospel, and not that just some Jew died on a cross, because that happened all the time um, in the near ancient east, but how to actually take the gospel and apply it to every day, so the gospel would fill my vision and be my worldview instead of so many other cultural pressures, even as we're going to talk about today. And so let me just start with just a few um, things. One, I am just immensely honored to be here and be on this stage, and there's so many familiar faces that were here while I'm while well, I was here, and so it's, it's great to see you. And then on top of that, there's so many new faces, holy smokes, that uh, I have no idea who you are. And you're like, who's this guy? You know, and, and so I'm, I'm equally as honored and humbled to, to be here. And, and with that being said, I, I know that, that I'm not your pastor, I'm not Steve, and, and God has wired me completely differently. But in that, if you would let me pastor you just for the next 35 to 40 minutes, um, it really would be my honor to do that, to stand up here. And so the second thing I have is, um, Steve said, I want you to preach on a Proverbs. And I was like, well, how about First Corinthians? And he was like, no Proverbs. And I was like, okay, we'll do Proverbs. And so, um, and he's like, just whatever comes to mind, like just spend, spend some time in prayer and pray. And I was like, okay, and I will. And, and Proverbs 31 came to mind. God has a sense of humor. And so today I'm going to preach on Proverbs 31 and the call to, to what it means to be a godly woman. And so in that, um, let me just be clear, too, I am not one, okay? And so, um, and I've been married to my, my best friend for nine years, married for five, and I still have no idea what she's thinking most of the time. And so, um, so here's what I do know, though, and we talked about this in the meeting beforehand, is that God's word is true, and it's right, and it's perfect, and, and he promises that if we would but preach the gospel and God's word, that God's spirit will minister to the hearts of those who hear And so for men and women alike, this um, text today is completely applicable um, for all of us, whether you're single, married, man, or woman. I had, it was my joy this week to just sit in Proverbs 31. And so with that being said, if you could turn your page, turn your Bibles to page 552, Proverbs 31, (laughs) verses 10 through 31, page 552, page 552, Proverbs 31, starting verse 10. An excellent wife who can find, she's far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises wild as yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maiden. Verse 16. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hand holds the spindle. She opens her hands to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for, her, for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. 
Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue, and she looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her a fruit of her hands and let her work, her works praise her in the gates. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you, God, that we, that we can gather legally um, without the pressures of being martyrs. God, I, I love that you have allowed that for us. God, I pray that your word would ring true, that your spirit would do as you so say, that it would minister to the hearts of those that are here. God, I pray for Trailhead. It's been such a blessing to us at Heights Church. And so we thank you, I thank you for the opportunity to even be here today. I pray all this in your name. Amen. All right, so just last week, uh, we were at a pool party for the 4th of July, and um, we played this game called Watermelon Football. Has anyone ever, if I can see some hands, some watermelon football? Okay, me, I'm the only one. Just crickets, me and crickets. And so we are playing this game called Watermelon Football, and what you do, essentially, is you take a watermelon, you're in the pool, you take this watermelon, and you grease it up with Crisco, like nasty grease it up with Crisco and and then you just lob that sucker in the pool and and this team and this team they try to race to get it from one end to the other and so two weeks ago if you would have told me that I would have had a blast for two hours with a greased up watermelon and got chucked in a pool I would have thought you were bananas and it was awesome though let me just say that and so we're at this pool party and we were having a ton of fun man it's probably 25 people all of our kids were just there hanging out and I have a two and a half year old her name's Emma She's in the pool with her floaties on and just having a great time, just kind of frolicking about. Well, she gets out of the pool and she goes with Mama to use the potty. And so I see them get out and then I'm back to this game and I, I turn around and I see Emma there again. And then the next thing I hear after I see Emma from our worship leader, his name's Jeff, he says, Corey, save her. And she had jumped into the pool, no floaties, just in and like, I'm gonna get, I'll get a little worked up because this image is still just burned in my head, but... So I, I look over, and, and I see her, like, curly blonde hair just, like, kind of sticking out of the water. And she's fine. She's fine. She's good. But she is just sticking out of the water, man. And her little arms and legs are just, like, you know, swinging. And so I, I reach over, and this, we're talking, like, no more than five seconds total from the whole, from the moment she jumped into now. And I grab her, and, like, poor thing, like, I scratch her back all up because I just grab her out of the water, and she's fine, and she's coughing up, and, and so for like nights, and even now in this moment, like that image is just kind of burned in my head of her little blonde curls and her arms kicking under the surface, and, and as I've been thinking about that and really just praying to God, that, telling him thank you for saving our little girl, um, in light of the context for today in the sermon, I realized, I think, that image that I had burned in my head is, is really a reality of what is happening in women all throughout the church. And in that, I mean, when, when we genuinely or when you genuinely find your identity and place in Christ, things are going swimmingly. On the surface, things look good. Even whenever they're bad, things are good regardless of the situation because your identity as a woman is grounded and rooted in Christ Jesus. But whenever you remove the gospel 
when you remove your life preserver, when you remove the very thing that keeps you afloat in this world, under the cultural pressures of this world, maybe the stigmas or the stereotypes of a woman, the doubt, the fear, the exhaustion just from having kids potentially or trying to um, perform or proceed throughout the vocation that you might be in, the, the frustrations alone that you have to bear the weight of without the gospel and your identity in Christ, you are no longer kept afloat, but merely you are in that same image suffocating under the weight of the world, kicking hands and screaming, and yet no one is hearing what's going on. And the beauty of the gospel, though, is that you have a good father, a loving, perfect father, not like your biological father, perhaps, but a good, perfect father who has stepped in and grabbed you out of that and said, mine. You are mine, regardless of what culture says, regardless of how you raise your kids. You're mine, and you're perfect because my son is perfect, and I see you through him. And that's the context of the scriptures today. And the big idea that I want to share with you is that we, that you, I'm going to say we a lot. Clearly, I'm a man, but just bear with me. I'm used to talking to the masses. The big idea is that that you need to put down cultural expectations and put on Christ's excellence for the note taker. Put down cultural expectations and put on Christ's excellence. And so the first and most important point that we see today in the text in Proverbs 31 is that this woman is devoted to the Lord. And so what I want you to see and what I want you to hear when we're looking at Proverbs 31 is that you don't come to this text, or if you come to this text and say, I need to try harder, I need to work harder, I need to perform better, we're kind of missing the point of the text. And the first point being, she is devoted to the Lord, and it is because of her devotion to the Lord that everything you find attractive in her exists. Because she has got to put on the very nature and character and attributes of her Lord and Savior. And that's what she's reflecting to the world. Not because she worked really hard at it, but because she's in Christ. Even though this is a proverb, she's allowed to be a part of the kingdom because of the coming work of the Messiah that we see in the New Testament. But it starts with her devotion to the Lord. Everything that makes her up comes from God. And so the opening to this whole thought and the closing of this whole thought here in Proverbs 31, 10 through 31, let me just read that. Verse 10, an excellent wife who can find. It's a bad idea for your husbands to say amen. So good job staying silent there. An excellent wife who can find. She's far more precious than jewels. Here comes your cue, men, to say amen. Verse 30, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised which you should respond, amen. There's some brownie points. I'm just trying to hook you up. And so just because things are going well on the surface does not mean that God is any more devoted to you or any less devoted to you. And even if things are going poorly on the surface, it does not mean that God is any less faithful or any more faithful to you. Because if you had everything that the world had to offer, God would still be faithful And if he decided to strip you of everything that the world has to offer, God would still be equally as faithful to you. The call is that you be devoted to him regardless of the circumstances. But in America, we live under this assumption, right, that that if we have more, that God must be showing us more favor. If I could just raise the kids a certain way or make it to all the games on time and hit this soccer field and gymnastics and finish my to-do list and carpool, then I would have arrived, 
right? If I could just do it all for everyone. And, and what I call this is, essentially, I call it a, a beautiful apocalypse. And what I mean by that is that, that on the outside, looking in, everything appears to be well manicured. Everything appears to be going swimmingly on the surface. But if we were to step inside of your heart and view how the culture has pressed against you and how sin has pressed against you, we would recognize that you're actually swimming without your flotation device, that the gospel has been removed. And a beautiful apocalypse, everything appears to be trimmed and manicured on the outside, but we step in and it's chaos. And women across the board in the church are dying and suffocating under the pressures that are put upon them from men and women, sin, Satan, all of it. In Miami this week, I was with Steve Mizell. If you're a guest here, welcome. Steve Mizell's the pastor. I am not, as I mentioned. And so Steve Mizell and I were in Miami. It was a really hard time in life for us down there. It rained for five days. I left for a week. It was sunny and beautiful. I came back. It rained for five days. It's like I moved to Seattle. And so I don't know what happened here in the Midwest. But I was with Steve in Miami last week. And, um, and we were sitting there. We're in like kind of this group of some pastors and our wives. And um, one of the pastors who's leading the conversation challenged us to think about this question. He said, where are you with Jesus? Where are you with Jesus? Fairly straightforward and simple question. And my response, I realized, was like everyone else's response if I were to ask that question. And I said, well, my relationship with my wife is awesome, and my kids are doing really well, and our finances are good, and our church, Heights Church, is, is doing amazing. I mean, there's like a ton of sin and dysfunction in the church, but it's no different than Trailhead, and it's doing amazing, and, and I'm in Miami. Like, so things are, I mean, me and Jesus are tight, like we're boys, right? And like, Jesus is not your boy ever, okay? But just to be clear, and <laughs> Lord and Savior of all things. And so, and I'm like, yeah, we're, we're good, man. We're good, we're chilling in Miami. And, and what I realized in that is that everything in my response was about the world. Everything was about the, the gifts that he had given me and not actually about him at all. And nothing that I answered actually answered the question, how am I personally, as Corey, how am I personally, as a pastor, as a husband, doing in relation to my relationship with Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior of all things? It was just all a bunch of worldly nonsense that seemed to be going well. And in that situation, as I'm sitting there with these pastors, I, I realized that I too was just kind of swimming along, having fun, or so I thought, but really I have just been running myself ragged for about seven weeks. And we just went through the membership process at Heights, which is, um, which is amazing, a huge blessing for us. And I realized though that it had been about seven weeks since I even had genuinely just delighted in my relationship with Jesus that it had been about seven weeks since I had read scripture for myself and not just for a sermon or for a conversation that I was about to go have. It had been seven weeks since I had just sat and prayed. Like prayed, thank you for giving me a beautiful wife. Thank you for giving me two kids. Thank you for allowing me to pastor and shepherd a church. Seven weeks as a pastor even, right? Not that expectations are any different for me, but seven weeks that I had went and I could have cared less about my personal, my relationship with Jesus Christ, the Savior of all things. And that's the reality of the situation, is when we start to find our identity and our gifts, instead of the giver of those gifts, that's idol tree. And that's exactly where I was, and that's where many of you are that come in this room, both men and women alike. But the call isn't to step up and to perform. Like God doesn't want you to perform. He wants you to surrender yourself to completely devote yourself to him and understanding how does 
my being in Christ? How does my identity in Christ drive my behaviors across every avenue of life? And so this godly woman in Proverbs 31 is godly and is devoted to God, but not because she performs and works really hard. It's because she recognizes that God has been infinitely devoted to her from the very beginning and that he has given her all the gifts that she has been blessed with. The second thing that we see in the text is that she's devoted to her household. But before we dive into that, let me just ask you guys some questions. Have you, anyone seen the Astronauts Wives Club? Let's see some hands. This is a new show on ABC. No? Well, there's a picture of them, so there's the first step. Any of you guys have Hulu? Just asking. Hulu? Anyone? Hands? No? Okay. I'm the only one. It must be because we're poor in Collinsville. We can only have Hulu. <laughs> Came here to Edwardsville. We can't have direct TV. So, um, <laughs> too far. Sorry, just nix that from the podcast. It's fine. Um, well, ABC just released this show on their. Net. My wife tells me all the time, like sarcasm. There's no room for sarcasm at the pulpit. But she's not in the service. She will be the next one. And so, <laughs> I'll repent later. And um, so, ABC just released this new show on their network called The Astronaut Wives. Club. So let me give you, I'll give you some background on it, especially since you haven't seen it. Uh, this show is based on a book written by, I believe her name is Lily Koppel, if that's how you say it. And what had happened with these women is that overnight, these women were transfor- um, transformed from military spouses to American royalty, um, just like that. And I mean, they got to have tea with Jackie Kennedy, and they appeared on the cover um, of Life magazine. They grew quickly into fashion icons uh, for their time. And as their celebrity rose, and as um, divorce and tragic death ensued upon their lives from their husbands, husbands being some of the first astronauts um, in the space, their relationship with one another grew immensely. They, they actually grew together. And, and for over 50 years, they were very, very close friends. Um, so I want to I share that before I get into some more stuff about them. But this show, The Astronaut Wives Club, tells the real story of these women who stood behind some of the um, greatest heroes um, for American history. The story also tells, though, of the pressures that were placed upon these women and the pressure that was placed on them by society and by culture and by the government. And, and they actually came to these women and said things like, America needs you. America needs you to look this way. Look and dress this way for the magazines. Look and dress this way for the paparazzi. Drive this car. America needs your marriage to look this way when you're in public, so make it look this way. America needs you to make your husband look this way whenever he's in public, regardless of all the adultery and drunkenness that was going on with the astronauts. And so they lived in these highly dysfunctional families, but they had the American, they really, literally, the American government putting all this weight on them. And what we see then all throughout the show, and then I would imagine even as we read the, if we were to read the book together, that they care a great deal more about how the world sees them, um, how the world sees them functioning within their relationships than actually how they even them how they even see themselves functioning in their relationships. And the difference, I share this because like, that's a perfect picture of this beautiful apocalypse that I mentioned earlier, that everything is manicured in them. And as you can look too, right, from their blonde and brunette blowouts to their pink toenails, everything is perfect on the outside looking in. But I think if we were to step a little deeper into their hearts, we would see that they are sinking 
deeper and deeper as they have no identity in Christ. It's driving their behaviors. There's not that devotion to God that leads them then to be devoted to their household as we see in the text. Their identity is not in the Lord. It's in their appearance and is how they are perceived. But in Proverbs 31, you can throw up that next point, she's devoted to her household. But it's only because she's first devoted to the Lord that then she's then devoted to household. Let me just read some of this with you. If you have your Bible still out, follow along. Verse 11, she says, the, he says, the heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. So unlike the nagging wives that we read about in Proverbs, I think 24, it says a nagging wife is like a dripping faucet. Drip, 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 nag, nag. Verse 13, she seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is night and provides food for her household and portions for her maiden. We'll talk about that one in a second. Verse 16, she considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself in strength and makes her arm strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. She sees value in herself. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. So this woman has been given a heart that breaks for her family, recognizing not everyone in here is married, not everyone in here um, uh, has a a family that they're tied to. Let me just pass her just for a second, just the single ladies that exist in the room. Here's how this text relates to you, single women. And when I say single, I mean um, engaged and single. You've not got the other ring quite put on it yet, if if I may. Here's how this relates to you. First and foremost, you need, one, devote yourself to the Lord first. And here's why. If you do not, like, you will not know how to love your future spouse if God so blesses you with a future spouse. You will not know how to love your future kids or present kids if you do not quite understand the devotion that God has for you. If you don't understand the sacrificial love and just sacrifice in general that is seen in the cross of Christ, you won't confidently know how to reflect that to the people around you the way that you were designed to. So I'm not saying you're doing a poor job. Don't hear me say something I'm not. Don't let the enemy speak into something I'm not. I'm saying you were designed for more. And that will come through your devotion to God. It will bleed out onto the devotion of your family. The second thing I want to tell you is that in your devotion to the church, in the way you are the church, in the way that you approach even being a part of Trailhead Church, the way you love, the way you serve, the way you give will be a direct reflection of how you love, serve, and give to your family, period. It's a direct reflection, a direct correlation. And the things that you make a priority now are the things you'll make a priority whenever those things come in the future. And so we'll bring everyone back in. Everything she does, though, in Proverbs 31 is to help ensure her family is taken care of, right? The heart of her husband trusts in her. There's no doubt in this man's mind in their relationship, right? Her loyalty to her husband, then, is without question. He has full confidence in the way his wife is pursuing him, pursuing the Lord, much like you would want to see when you watch this show that none of you have seen, The Astronaut's Wives Club that their loyalty to their husband, I think, is without question. But the motivations for why they love and serve and support their husband are completely in question. And it's not their identity or their devotion to the Lord, first and foremost. It is merely just the cultural pressures to perform that is driving their behaviors. But with this Proverbs 31 woman, it's not the fear of culture that leads her to be a godly woman. It's simply the fear of the Lord. 
that leads her to be a godly woman that then is godly towards um, pursuing her household. It's this awe of the Lord. It's this reverence that she stands before a good father, the, the overflow of understanding who God is and where she is rightly before the throne that overflows and spills out and just bleeds out onto the household that exists around her. But it's top down. It's not because she serves her household well, she's a good godly woman. It's because her devotion to the Lord that she's a good godly woman because he's placed that upon her and it drives her to love and serve her household. And it says she does it with diligence, right? She's full of provision. She provides for her family's needs, both material, financial, emotional. She's productive with what is beneficial for the whole family, not just productive with what benefits her. So everything about her is, is given to her family, Part of that productivity is that she sets clear expectations by her own actions. Let me just say, ladies, if, if you would just tell us sometimes your expectations, you would save a lot of arguments. Amen, men? <laughs> but y'all should know. Well, we're kind of dumb. And we don't know, okay? We just, need, just write it on the fridge or something, you know? Just put it up there with the ABCs. Just write it up there. Here's the deal. She serves the way she wants to be served, and she models that service. And and here's what I want you to hear, is that someone cannot take care of you unless they know what it feels like to be taken care of. It's like we need those expectations. And men, you need to stop setting poor expectations and stop placing poor expectations on women when you're not even being a Proverbs 31 man. You need to pursue godliness yourself. Verse 15, she says, she rises while it is yet night. I just love this verse. I'm going to sit on it for a minute. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. Like she doesn't serve her household out of obligation. She doesn't serve her household out of reciprocation. Like there's this expectation that if I serve you, you should then serve me. It's just a radical, like just unleashing of service that she gives to her household because she understands God's devotion to her. She doesn't put on a face and serve so that the family will just appear to be put together. Right? She, she serves because she knows the love of the Father. She serves because she understands the devotion of the Father to her. And I think ultimately she serves her household for two reasons. To model, as I just mentioned with sharing expectations, to model for her household the deep extent in which God is serving, loving, pursuing, and providing for this woman. Right? And so if you're not walking with Jesus, you can't accurately, actu- accurately teach the family how to serve, love, and provide for you because you don't know, because you've not felt that yet. And so for those that are not believers, you don't actually understand. You haven't felt the love of the Father. You don't understand the full sacrifice in which Jesus ensued in your place as your substitute as he went to the cross. So like that's the invitation to the gospel, to be devoted to the Lord, and you'll understand the love and sacrifice of Christ so that you might spill that out onto the people around you. She also models for her household how it is that she would like to be served. I mentioned she serves without reciprocation. That means she serves in a way that sets a clear expectation for how she wants to be loved, for how she wants to be pursued, for how she wants to be desired, for, for how she wants you to initiate conversation. And she does it for the sake of the family. Not just godliness for her, but godliness for the whole family. The last thing that she's devoted to is her mission. So not only is she devoted to the Lord, devoted to the household, but ultimately devoted to her 
mission equally, I would say, devoted to serving those that come in and out from around the household, those that come in and out of the community. She's devoted to serving her neighbors, we read, and we're going to read some of it. And what I'm talking about here is, is hospitality. And I don't mean hospitality like I'm going to need to clean up my house and make it look like a museum because I'm about to host a small group, right? Like not that type of, I know we have 27 people that come to our house every Wednesday night. My wife runs around frantic every Wednesday, like I got to clean this, I got to clean that. I, gotta, I, get, I get it, right? But let's just be real. Let's just be family. Everybody knows your house doesn't look like that, especially if you have kids, okay? It's just, that's just not what it looks like. We know. I had some la- heard some ladies talking at the gym the other day, and she's talking about it, so I know she knew. And she said, you know how I know people's houses don't look like that? This is so creepy. You know how I know people's houses don't look like that? She said, I look in the shower. If <laughs> <laughs> that, that's you, you need Jesus. <laughs> so let's just start there. Stop there. She said, I look in the shower. I was like, oh, my, my. Okay. What I'm talking about here is, is real deep sense of hospitality. Like, and here's what I mean when I, when I say hospitality. I think this is what the, the gospel would, would weigh in on as well. Not just straightening and manicuring things, but reorienting your life around someone else's life. Like reorienting your life around the community, putting yourself in where other people are that you don't know. I would even say putting yourself around people that make you feel uncomfortable, people that you might silently judge, and actually being the image of Christ to those people. Let me get back to my notes now. Um, no idea where we're at. Somewhere down here. This looks good. So what that means is to, to focus your resources on the people that are around you. So your time, your talent, your treasure, back to how you serve the church is how you will serve other people. The way you serve the church is a picture of how you serve in the community. If you serve here with obligation, you serve out there probably out of obligation. If you serve here with um, just negative feelings or pressures to perform, you're obviously going to do the same thing when you're out in the community. But this idea of reorienting your life around the people, around neighbors, around your neighbors. Do you know your neighbor's name? Right? That will tell me if you're devoted to your mission or not. Because here's the deal, like, whenever Emma, my two-year-old, jumped in that pool, if I'm being honest with you as a parent, it's because I stopped paying attention. I just, let's just call it what it is, right? If it's a spade, it's a spade. And even, albeit five seconds, the reason she jumped in that pool without her floaties on is because I had failed to pay attention to her in that moment, in the midst of the fun, in the midst of the chaos that was this party. And it wasn't due to a lack of hospitality. It wasn't due to a lack of preparedness. Like, we brought the swim bag. We had everything that little girl could ever want and a thousand times more in that bag. But in that moment, I failed to reorient my life around her. And I would say that in our culture, a lack of hospitality is, due, is not due to a lack of preparation. It's due to short-sightedness. You guys with me? A lack of hospitality isn't due to lack of preparation. It's due to a lack of short-sightedness. It's, it's a failure to raise our gaze, even as um, Kevin mentioned in offering. It's a failure to raise our gaze to see that there is so much more that we've been invited to, invited into than what we have right here. But we come to the table, man, and we think like, well, this is my stuff and my family and my house and my kids and my wardrobe and my, my, my. And we are so short-sighted that we look at this much of our life and we fail to look out 17,000 years from now, how am I going to impact the mission of God? How is the kingdom of God going to be more fully established? How am I going to see this person or that person there in the kingdom? And like, that's my reward. 
that I, would, that I get to surrender my, sacri- my, surrender my uh, resources, I get to reorient my life around other people, that I get to be a hermeneutic or a, an, an interpretation of the gospel to people so that I might see them in the kingdom of heaven. Like, that's, that's the reward that we get. Nothing else in this life matters. Should we steward it well? Absolutely. Should we take care of the resources God gave us? Yes. Should we be short-sighted? Absolutely not. May we stand in tip, on our tiptoes in eager anticipation for the coming Messiah, because that's all that we live for. That is our mission, to see people who do not believe in Jesus believe in Jesus, to see disciples become disciples that make disciples, and to plant churches that go on and plant healthy churches as you're doing. Otherwise, I wouldn't be standing here, right? So we're on the right track, but this is what the text is saying. Might we please just raise our gaze? Let's walk through these last few verses. Verse 20, she opens her hands to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She's flowing with generosity. Verse 21, she's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. What that means is she's okay with change, essentially. She's prepared, absolutely. Swim bag is in the car. She's prepared, but she's okay with change. She, she's not stuck to the to-do list. She's not stuck to the calendar. She's not stuck to the schedule and having to be here or be there. It's okay to let that stuff go so that she might reorient her life around others. She makes, verse 22, she makes bed coverings for herself, for clothing is fine linen and purple. Like She has nice things. Have nice things. Just don't let nice things have you. You with me? Have nice things, but don't let them have you because then it turns into idolatry, as I started off talking about, even about myself. Verse 23, her husband is known, I love this, her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. Her character, because of her devotion to the Lord, because she understands her identity, brings a sound reputation to her husband. Like, that's, that's just flowing out of her to her husband. Not because she seeks to impress, so don't, don't hear that. Not because of the cultural pressures, but because of her love and understanding of God. Her character just flowed out onto her husband in such a way where he is elevated among the people in the land. Verse 24, she makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the, mer- to the merchants. She's involved in the community, but not just involved, but known. Like she's known in the community for her generosity, for the way she loves and serves She's well-known. Verse 25, strength and dignity clothe her. And she laughs at the time to come. This doesn't mean she's a puppet. She doesn't laugh on command. It's not what that means at all. I've heard pastors totally misuse that. Here's what it does mean. It means she's not led astray by hypotheticals. She doesn't led astray by the fears of the futures, the hypotheticals of the futures of something, something not working out. It means that she's content that she's satisfied with exactly what she has here, and she's joyfully approaching what is to come. She's pleasantly okay. She opens her mouth with wisdom, verse 26, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. She is teachable, and she teaches. She's not idle. She's known, and she's known for what she has to say, and she's known in growing in this character that has been placed upon her. She's known for growing in her devotion to the Lord and devotion to the household. She's known for growing and understanding her mission and her ministry. There's no short-sightedness with this woman. There's simply an eager anticipation for the coming king and looking at this world and saying, this is my mission field and how can I impact eternity? I think there's recognition of identity in her, her identity being in Christ and not in family or the gifts that God has given her. There's a recognition clearly of purpose. 
to, to live on mission. I think there's, a definite, there's an understanding here even of value that she is a priceless princess to the king, that she's been invited to set and dine with the king for eternity because she's a really good parent. I think not. Because she can rock, the, rock that Michael Kors bag. No. Because she's really creative with Instagram and can put up a false facade of her family that it's all put together. I don't think that's it either. I think it's simply because she has a good father that has reached in and grabbed her and said, you're mine. I put my character on you. I put my holiness on you, my godliness, and my perfection, regardless of what you think you look like. You're mine. So let me give you some gospel application, and then we'll land this plane. Many of the ladies in the church and at Trailhead, pardon me, many of the ladies have come in here um, with that same pressure, may it be just sinful, fleshly, cultural, uh, family, um, nuclear family or extended family, pressure to perform to cultural standards, to look a certain way, to raise kids a certain way. And the reality is there's just a level of suffocation that's going on. Like you're there and, and, and some of you is kind of sticking out of the water, but you have totally lost your flotation device. You, you've lost the gospel. You've forgotten your identity is in Christ and you're there screaming and it's nothing coming out if we were to look into your heart. And it is, yes, a measure of short-sightedness. This is my stuff. This is my world. This is my community. This is my, 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 my. And while it is all well-intentioned, it is a beautiful apocalypse. Like, on the outside, everything looks well manicured, but on the inside, death is ensuing. And you feel that weight of just running on that treadmill of performance. And it is just wearing you out. Instead, the gospel says that we're called to believe that Jesus Christ has met his Father's deepest needs in going to the cross in our place, and that you are perfect, and that you are godly because of the work of Jesus in your place, not because of your performance at all. Because you have a good Father that stands there, and, and whenever he looks at you, he sees the work of Jesus. I mean, how crazy. I just keep saying the same thing over and over again in different ways. I, I know that. I'm doing it on purpose, in case someone's missing it. I want you to hear it over and over again. But if you're in Christ, and if you are a believer, then you share in his characteristics by the power of his spirit. That's the truth of the gospel. That's actually the scandal of the gospel. Because you say, Corey, I don't look that way. I don't think that way. I don't feel that way. And God says, I don't care. That's the way it is. Because of the work of Jesus, not because of the work of you. These are the characteristics in Proverbs 31. This is what hit me hardest this week. Proverbs 31, we always hear people say, I need a Proverbs 31 woman, or, or the, you know, Christian culture is so weird anyway, but um, it is. It's probably on a t-shirt. You got it on a mug. Didn't know today what Proverbs 31 was until you came in, but, um, but they'll say that, and they'll put these expectations on people, but the reality of Proverbs 31 is that this is the characteristics of Jesus. This is exactly what Jesus models whenever he came incarnate in the flesh. He was diligently devoted to his Lord. He was diligently devoted to his father, completely diligent in that, in his plan for redemption to come as a Messiah. He also provided for his household. That's us, the church. That's us, the bride, right? God provided himself fully in the person and work of Christ. He provided a way back to him. Like we were disconnected from the fall, Genesis 1 and 2, and then we're created perfectly, Genesis 3, the fall, and, 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 and God doesn't cower back in the garden. He says, I'm going to send a rescuer. 
I'm going to send someone to save you. I'm going to send this Messiah to you. And God provides per- perfectly in the work of Jesus on the cross. He provides us with clothing. Right? As he goes to the cross, he clothes, clothes himself in sinful depravity, and he blankets us in his righteousness and his perfection. He imputes him all his good characteristics upon us and then keeps them in us by the power of his spirit, not because of our good work and performance. And this is a beautiful story that we get to be a part of. And because Christ is holy, then we across the board, men and women in Christ, are seen as holy. I mean, isn't that a scandal? It just blows, every time I get to say it out loud, it just blows my mind. It's so crazy and so good for us, which means he's then clearly devoted to his mission because, by the way, we are his mission. He's equipped us to go live on mission for him. And so what we see in Proverbs 31 is a lot less about us and everything about Jesus Christ as it is the character of a far better character in the story, right? And his name is Jesus, the firstborn resurrected son of all creation. So that's what our text points us to, a greater parent, a greater spouse, a greater person. And while we will continue to endure sin, while we will continue, men and women across the board, will continue to feel the weight of frustration and doubt and am I raising kids right? Do I need to get married? I am married. Should I stay married? What do I do? Wherever you might be across the board, the promise is that good, perfect son is coming back to restore all things. He's coming back to fully consummate his household and consummate his marriage so he might present us, listen to this, so he might present us how he already sees us, which is perfect and righteous because of the son. So let me pray for us and we'll throw some reflection questions up. God, we thank you so much for your word and I thank you so much for um, just again, for me to be able to come here to Trailhead to share Proverbs 31. And I had no idea what you're getting me into this week, but um, God, you clearly ordained this for them from the foundations of the earth. You knew today that I would stand here and you knew who would be here listening. And so God, I pray that the Spirit does what the Spirit promises to do and that he ministers to the hearts of your people. God, I pray that it would, it would go to the building up of your bride for the mission of your kingdom. God, I pray for our women in the church. Um, God, I pray that where I came off arrogant or ignorant, God, that your spirit um, shepherd their hearts to your son. I pray all this in your name by the gift and power of your spirit. Amen.